Thank you for joining us on the Access Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message from this week's guest speaker. So if you guys have been with us the last month, we are in a series called NC17, Dating, Mating, and Relating, or Dating, Meeting, and Relating. Uh, we've had a couple different names for this series a couple times, so uh, we're glad if you've been with us all four weeks, we're glad that you're here and, uh, and finishing off the series with us. If you haven't been with us, don't worry, you could catch up uh, either through our live stream or through our podcast. So we have a special guest tonight. So as you guys know, over the last four weeks, you guys have been texting in your questions uh, either during service, during the week, and we've gathered those, we've uh, compiled them, and, and uh, we have some answers for you guys. So we have two couples. We have Pastor Eric and <laughs> Pastor Matt's laughing because we have two couples. <laughs> So Pastor Eric and Maureen, you guys will remember from a couple weeks ago, you guys start coming up. Uh, they were in this series. If you guys were here for last year's relationship series, you guys will remember Pastor Matt and Kelly. If you guys come up as well. So we're going to get started with these guys. I'm going to be up here just to, yes, welcome them, welcome them. I'm not going to add anything to the conversation except for ask the questions. So I will be over here. And we have lots of questions. We want to get started right away. Nick, I was, I was laughing because you said we have answers. We, so that. We have, yeah, yeah, we have answers. <laughs> Matt has the answers. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. So our first question is for Pastor Matt and Kelly. Came in and said, is it okay to lust and have thoughts of your partner if you're engaged to be married? So lust and have thoughts. Um, You could probably do those two separately. Have thoughts about them and lust. No, not really. Um, Let me me read this again. Is it okay to lust? if I think if I'm understanding the question correctly, um, I think it's you know if you're in the engaged portion of your relationship and you're looking forward to marriage, is there anything wrong with uh, looking forward to the honeymoon? Uh, thinking about that, um, and to that I would say um, I guess I want to distinguish between what lust is and uh, really the alternative to that, which is love. Uh, to me, lust is something that is very much centered on myself, um, something that I'm, what, what I'm looking to get from somebody else, um, where love is other-centered, where um, if, I'm, if I'm lusting after my girlfriend, my fiance, my wife, no matter what stage that's in, I don't think lust is the thing that God wants in my heart towards the one that I'm vowing to love for the rest of my life. Um, so to answer that question, uh, from, from my perspective, you, you wouldn't want to be lusting after not only your fiancé but your wife or uh, your girlfriend, but that you would want to have love toward them. And that wouldn't involve um, crossing that boundary of fantasizing about sex before you're married. Um, I'll share a personal story about that um, and, and maybe give a little, I'm going to give a little context, I think, for a lot of the answers that I'm going to give tonight. Um, and that is that we were created and designed by God that we would live lives that we uh, are fulfilled by God, that he would be our source of, of who we are, our source of love, our source of validation, our source of life, that we would get that from him and that we would be a people that are, are full and fulfilled and that from that context then I could have somebody else in my life and from fullness relate to them in a way where I can look at them to see what God sees rather than being empty and looking at them as a potential meal, as something to fill myself. And really when we're lusting after somebody, I think the the heart of that is, is there's something that I'm missing and I'm longing for them to fulfill it. And, and in that way, it's, it's um, in, in a sexual way, I'm looking for that to bring fulfillment to me. Um, but if I am actively seeking for God to be the one who is fulfilling me in all manner, then uh, it's going to make this the way that I relate to my girlfriend, fiance, wife much healthier. So when, when I was in, engaged to Kelly, uh, me and uh, our Christian friends, we would kind of joke um, that 
you know, the wedding day, that's for the girls, you know. You know, they can, they can do what they want with that, but the, the wedding night, that's for us. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so that was kind of my ongoing joke throughout the engagement. Very romantic. Very romantic. Um, that was kind of my ongoing joke throughout the engagement. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly, I would, sit, I would struggle not to, you know, think about that. Um, and it was a, a bit before our wedding, I uh, was praying and just talking to God and saying, you know, if there's anything in my heart that you want to deal with that's going to make our marriage better and more a reflection of you, I just ask you to do something in me. And he did a number of things, but one of those things was he began to challenge me about my view about what I was looking forward to in our marriage regarding our sexuality. And the, the, the best way that I can put it is I, I really came under very loving conviction that as far as it concerns me in, in the area of sex in our marriage, that my viewpoint should be other-focused, not about what I'm going to get, not about what I've been, you know, trying not to think about, um, but really to focus on Kelly. And, you know, I, I approached Kelly, I think, maybe the night or two before our wedding, and I said it in a way that wasn't enticing. But I just said, hey, I just want you to know that when we get married, the, the whole honeymoon uh, thing. I just want you to know that going into that, I, I'm totally putting the focus on you as far as how that evening goes, and it's not just going to be about me. And I, I know I've joked about it, but I want you to know that. And I, I know I could see her being relieved, and it cho- totally changed the the trajectory of how I viewed sexuality and marriage, and it turned around what could have been a disaster of a honeymoon that was all about me into a great honeymoon. It was a good time. Uh, yeah, so I say embarrassing things every time I'm up here. Last time I quoted Austin Powers. She's pregnant, so. So don't make me cry. All right, um, so, you know, I, when I think of, you know, love versus lust, kind of what Matt said of, you know, if you look, like, look at the biblical definition of love, if you're engaged to marry somebody, hopefully you love them and you've expressed that, okay? And so, you know, like Matt said, it becomes a, a non-selfish and unselfish giving type thing. And we're big proponents um, of marriage teaching. And, and if you're engaged to somebody or you're getting toward that point or whatever, um, you know, get yourself some teaching, get yourself some books or things like that where you can just learn and you can absorb what it means to be in a marriage relationship because it's a little bit different than a dating relationship or even an engaged relationship. Um, I'm going to give you some to-don'ts if you're engaged, okay? Um, don't spend long times together alone. It's just, it's, I would say it's a lot more tempting when you're engaged to cross a line that you wouldn't cross maybe if you're just dating somebody, okay? If you, I mean, if you have things that you want to save for marriage, um, which we also recommend, okay, then it's, it's a little bit more difficult to do that when you're in your head going, well, we're going to be married in six months, you know? Um, so to don't spend lots and lots of time alone in a small room with the lights down. Not good, Okay. <laughs> Um, just not good. From experience, I can tell you it leads to not super things where you walk away and you're like, no, that wasn't good. Or you need to just flick the lights on and walk out of the room. Okay? Um, Matt and I were engaged for about a year. And, you know, we, we had moments like that where we were like, okay, you know, we don't need to be thinking down this road right now. And we were both really trying to follow God's plan for our engagement and for our marriage. And, and I'm going to be honest with you that, that that's, a, that's a practical thing that that we definitely had to go through when we were engaged. Um, to don't talk a lot about, you know, the sexual dynamic on the honeymoon or on the wedding night or things like that. Um, that. Correct. On the honeymoon, talk about it. Right, not beforehand. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, and you can, you can have honest conversations with each other like Matt and I had about, you know, the, the vision of it. Um, but just, you know, you kind of have to be a little bit practical in those things of where are you going to put your mind and where are you going to put your body in certain situations when you're engaged to somebody that you are going to be married to, and that's going to be awesome. Um, but I would say you do have to be a little bit more careful, I would say at least for us, than when you're dating because you have a little bit of a different outlook on the relationship. So, Great answer. <laughs> we have lots of questions, so if you guys do that after every question, it's going <laughs> to... All right, this one's for Pastor Eric and Maureen. Uh, this is kind of two questions, uh, but I think they're, they're both very similar. So 
As a Christian who's looking to grow more and more, is it good to date someone who is a lukewarm Christian? Is it just as damaging or more damaging than dating someone who has different religious beliefs? And then part two or the other question should be, should you be in a relationship with someone who you feel isn't very open about their faith and isn't where you'd like them to be in their faith? Well, I can tell you what the Word of God says. It says not to be yoked together with an unbeliever for what is righteousness and wickedness have in common. Um, so as far as marrying a non-believer, somebody who, or dating, yeah, even dating, because you're putting yourself in a position to have an unequal yoke. So if they're not a believer, I would advise you to steer clear. And, you know, we see in history from in the Old Testament where, you know, God had said for his people not to take on foreign wives. And this is not about race. It's not like if you're, you know, one nationality, you can't marry the other nationality because of skin color. But, you know, he had said it is because they'll lead you astray. And Solomon took on more than one wife. He had more wives than anyone that ever lived, I'm quite sure. <laughs> but he married foreign women who worshipped other gods. And the Bible says that their, their wives led him astray. He had everything given to him. You know, he was the wisest man that ever lived, the richest man that ever lived. He could have, have anything he want. And, you know, he chose to disobey God and take on these women in it really hurt him, wounded him, and then in the end, you know, he's, he talked about what meaningless things were. So an unequal yoke. Now, if somebody has a, a different religion from you, but they're born again, I think, you know, maybe you can work through some of those things. But one thing you need to, you know, really consider down the road is, you know, if I marry this person and we're not on the same page, what's going to happen when we have children? How do we want to teach our kids and, and those things all need to be talked about because if, if it's going to be a deal breaker for you, um, you want to do it before your marriage. Because one thing I think a lot of people m make the mistake is that when I get married, then everything's going to get better. And marriage doesn't change things like that. I mean, if people have issues... Before they're married, they're going to take those issues into the marriage. Just just with, with anything they're going through. Marriage does not make that go away. So that's just my thoughts on that. I like whoever asks this question, admitting that they're a Christian who's looking to grow more and more. And that's the key. Matt alluded to that, as did Kelly, that our, our walk with the Lord needs to be growing every day. But when it comes to lukewarmness, um, I'm sure you've all heard the illustration or seen the object illustration where somebody stands on a ledge like this and, you know, you get a real tiny person down below and a real big person up top and it's easier to pull somebody down than it is to lift somebody up. And in relationships, uh, you're either causing or drawing or pointing people to Christ or you're pulling them back, dragging them down. Now, Missionary dating. Anybody ever heard of missionary dating? Yeah. Anybody been told missionary dating is not a good idea? Yeah. Missionary being, evangelizing is a great idea, but they say, no, I'm going to win them to the Lord. You watch. Well, we'll sit back and watch. I'm not saying it never, ever happens, but I'm saying it's farther and fewer uh, defeats than there are victories. So you want to be very, very careful. Um, is it more damaging to date someone of a different religion? Marine kind of covered that pretty well. Um, but should you be in a relationship with someone you feel isn't very open about their faith or isn't where you would like them to be in their faith? What strikes me about that, um, you're not going to change them. You won't change them. And after you get married, you won't change one another. Uh, that's what Maureen was referring to when marriage doesn't fix things like that. The part that I would really caution you on is 
thinking you're going to change them and having them kind of be defensive and rebel back and then use your attempts to convert, change, or motivate to be better than they are against you to where they make you feel like or they'll accuse you of being holier than thou. Um, Marina and I's experience, when Marina and I started dating, um, I wasn't serving the Lord, and believe me, she wasn't either. She drank like a fish, cussed like a sailor, and believe it or not, and um, we were not serving God in any way, shape, or form. I was running from God, um, but she didn't know anything about God. She was um, just not raised that way. Yeah, she didn't know. Okay, she didn't know the difference between Abraham or Moses. Okay, she didn't know about things like that. But the the short story is, um, I had quite a Jesus encounter. To well, before that had happened, I'd fallen head over heels in love with her. Uh, she was actually the first girl that I ever dated, where I actually dated because I was scared to death of dating. I didn't have. I had a lot of female friends growing up all through high school. Never had a girlfriend. Just had a lot of people that I hung out with, and um, I had no, no intentions ever in my life of getting married and having kids. It was the last thing I wanted. And, but then I met her, and we went out one night and had a great time, and then the next night, and I went and picked her up, and we went out again and again. And like I think for six months in a row, we went out every day. And um, she wasn't serving God, nor was I. Anyways... I had fallen in love with her, and I, I was just, I didn't know what to do with those feelings because I just wanted to be with her, and, and uh, I was the guy writing her name, Maureen Sipperly. No, um, instead of the girls, I'm teasing. But then what had happened is I'd had an encounter with Jesus, and I'd given my life to the Lord and realized that I could not be unequally yoked and realized that we could not continue on in our dating relationship and I literally <clears throat> spent two days bawling my eyes out because I was in love with her. But then I thought, God, if I can't have her, will you take her, please? Do whatever you've got to do to get her. Do whatever you've got to do that she would come to the saving knowledge of you, that she would come to that place to where she would strive to love you more than she does me. And I had resolved our relationship was over. And um, obviously, Maureen came to know the Lord. Um, I kind of had a part in doing that, leading her to the Lord. Okay, be nice. He went to a, a church camp, and he, was, he played drums at this church camp. And... He got his life right with God, and of course, they all told him, you need to break up with that girl because she's dragging you down. So I was at Ferris. He came up to visit me, and he brought a stack of gospel tracts, walked in, said hello, was super distant, read these in this order, and then he left. That's all he said. And I'm like, okay. So I sat down, and there were like these comic book chick, chick tracks, chick tracks. I don't know if anybody of you have ever seen them, but it was like the gospel in comics. And I read them one at a time. Yeah, he never even told me because I don't know if he knew how to lead someone to the Lord. But at least he got me the material. And that explained it really good. And as I was reading it, this light went on. And I'm like, so that's what it means to be born again. And I remember the scripture that said, the path to heaven is narrow and the gates to hell are wide. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And it said, narrow is the path that leads to life and few find it. Well, that really meant a lot to me because I knew very few people that were Christians and I just thought they went off the deep end and were weird and were in a cult. But when he said, few find it, I went, so they're the few that found it. This is, and it, I can't, I don't want to spend a lot of time going into what was going through my head, but I prayed the prayer and got saved. And then I showed up at his church and I was so hungry for God. I couldn't put my Bible down. And, you know, in time he saw what was happening to me and could rejoice and we kept seeing so we continue, I mean, I'd get up in the morning and do whatever I do. Then I'd call her to go over to, her, to visit her at her apartment. And I'd go and knock on the door and she'd yell, come in. She'd be sitting there smoking her Marlboro lights, reading her Bible. And I thought, okay, you're, you're, you're on the right track. It was awesome. And um, 
it, it was a lot of fun. But I only share that to say, um, you've got to love them more than, you've got to see that God loves them more than what you ever could. And I knew I could never love Maureen the way God loved her. But I knew that in our in my relationship with God, I don't mean this offensively, she would have been a hindrance. She would have prevented me from getting closer to God because you're either pulling them up or dragging them down. Not only was she not a Christian, she, she I mean, she just, she was a heathen, okay? And, um, but I'm just thankful that she got saved and we've been married now for over 30 years. Thank you. Comic book Bible tracks. That's awesome. We're going to have those in the backs for anybody that's trying to. <laughs> they work. <laughs> they work. Oh, all right. Next question for Matt and Kelly. How does a good Christian guy become the kind of man a girl would be willing to actually go beyond the friend zone for and give that guy a chance? The friend zone. Uh, well, one, he stops asking questions like that. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I, I'm joking. No, that's a, asking the question is a good place to start. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Um, so let me let me look at that again. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, this is uh, kind of kind of my response to the question before would be my response to this one too, is, is be the kind of person that, you know, this is what I say to all, you know, my, my single friends that would come to me and say, you know, I, I'm looking and I can't find somebody and I, you know, it's, it's so frustrating. It's been, you know, you know, years or, you know, months since I've had a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever. And I, I just can't seem to find one. I said, listen, take advantage of this time that you have to be single and pursue God with all of your heart. Go after God with everything you have until you are completely fulfilled by him. And, and when you're on that kind of trajectory, you're gonna look and all of a sudden there's gonna be somebody there. You know, I'm not promising you that as like a formula. Okay, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna pursue God and there, she's gonna be there. You know, that, that's... <laughs> But that you go after God with all of your heart and allow him to do something in you. Um, and it also would help for you to become more emotionally mature. <laughs> um, you know, a little more stable um, as an individual. And I'm, I'm not picking on the dude that wrote this. I don't even know you. Um, but my dude's out here. Be more stable as an individual. Get a job and hold it for a while. That's good advice. Um, <laughs> and the sisters said, amen, right. Um, you know, get a job, allow yourself to mature emotionally and mature spiritually, um, become totally consumed with God, um, and, and she'll be there or he'll be there. Um, you know, for me, I, I was, you know, I got saved and I, I thought, you know, I got to find a girl. And so I, I dated, like, I picked like three different girls that I thought were the most spiritual girls around. So I, I scared them all off. <laughs> I dated one and I was like, I was like, let's read the Bible. And she's like, let's not talk again. So I was like, okay, all right. Uh, and then the next one, you know, I'm talking to and kind of the same deal. And then the third one, finally, it's like, forget it, you know. And then I pulled out the verses by Paul that said, you know, be like me. It's better not to marry. And I'm like, yeah, Paul, it's better not to marry. Forget these women, me and Jesus, you know. And I, I wasn't even interested. And, uh, you know, but I, I was sincere, um, although a little jaded. But as I became more and more fulfilled by God, I really did start to care less and less. And that doesn't mean the desire for another person in your life is a bad desire. It's a good desire. But let it come from a place of being fulfilled by God. And then, I can't even tell the story. It's too long for tonight. But he brought her into my life. And she is the absolute best woman for me. I mean, I can't even... I can't even imagine being with any, I don't even want to imagine being with anybody else. She's perfect for me. But my own quest to find somebody would not have yielded this result. 
Um, I, I would have I would have settled for <laughs> I would have settled for um, somebody that that wasn't wanting God the way that I was desiring him, and there would have been compromise, you know, um, but he brought her to me as I was pursuing him with, with all of my heart, so that, that would be my advice to um, not only find a girl that w- wants to, you know, see you get out of the friend zone, uh, <laughs> but a girl who is also passionately pursuing God, because really the, the foundation of any great marriage is two people that love God more than they love each other, and that are surrendered to who he is and want his will for their lives. So go do that. Um, you know, when you get to that point where you're, I don't know if you're necessarily not looking anymore. You're not, you're not necessarily focusing your energy on the looking part of things. You know, when I read this, I said to Matt, well, be a good Christian guy. Like, that was what I thought might work. And then Matt said his piece, and I said, that's true. That's, that's a good part of it. And, but the, the thing is, you know, you know, being a good Christian guy, and I don't know who this was or who this is speaking to, but, you know, you can still be a, um, a, an interesting, exciting, spontaneous, you know, plan a date type person guy, okay? So, you know, I, I feel like once you, you know, all of the advice that Matt said is, is the, the kind of foundation for anybody who's looking to be in a relationship, really, you know, if you're searching for somebody, whether you're a guy or a girl, you know, having the foundation of making God your source for things, not looking to other people to fill that void in your life is, is a huge foundation. Um, you know, once you get there and, and you're in communion with God and you're talking to him and you're like, okay, I feel like there's this girl or this guy out there and I really kind of want to, you know, form a little relationship, you know, just because you're a good Christian guy doesn't mean you have to be boring, you know, so... <laughs> Do things that are kind of fun or, or, or plan something or, you know, give her something or bring her a Diet Coke with ice from the fountain at Speedway, okay? That's my favorite. Um, or a caramel macchiato, extra foam, skim, whatever she likes, okay? So, I mean, you know, you find those things, and, and once you have somebody kind of in your sights, you can do those extra things. Yeah, you eventually have to ask her out, right? Except for um, I, he did not ask me out. <laughs> So, let's just be clear. I asked him out. We actually went to church. He kind of asked me out. We met at a campus life meeting, and which was a very God thing. And then I found out we went to the same church, and we didn't know that growing up because it's kind of a big church. We went here, and he said, "So there's this evan even I can't say it evangelist. Thank you. There's this evangelist coming." And he's come, and we, we had to skip school, and I was the valedictorian. And, um, and he said, oh, cool, and I'm like, oh, sweet. So then I went home that night, and then I think I called you, and your mom answered the phone, and I freaked out. I was like, is Matt there? And then I said, so were you going to this thing tomorrow? And he said, yeah. And I was like, can I come with you? And he said, sure. So we skipped school. We went to McDonald's, and then we went and watched Tim's story. It was super fun. Yeah, so I went from girls that were, like, freaking out because I had a Bible to a girl that was willing to skip school to go see an evangelist during the day. So there you go. <laughs> I would add, just for the, uh, the guy to that, take an interest in her. Don't make it all about you. Validate her. Be interested in her, what she's all about, what she wants, who she is, what she likes. Too often, um, seems like, Sometimes in the, the dating stage, when we start dating, the guys are the ones, we just run our mouths brrr, nonstop. And guy, whoever this is, take an interest in her. Validate her. Well said. Next one's for Erica Marine. Since last week's message was about what our words mean, what are your thoughts about the word love? I hear more and more young, new couples using that word. I wanted to know what your thoughts were. Love. Love is a many splendid things. Um, There's a song that says that. Don't ask me to sing it. Um, In the Bible, the word love, there are actually four different words in the Bible that is the word love. There's the agape, which is God's love, God kind of love. There is phileo, which is friendship love, city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Then there's eros, which is the erotic kind of love, and then there's what's called storage, which is a love of things. Um, 
I honestly think oftentimes couples use the word love uh, more as a term of endearment almost to try to let their person who they're dating know that, okay, we, we've crossed the, the line, that, that L word, we're, we're starting to use it. I remember vividly, and don't ask me while I know why I remember this, uh, Marina and I dated for several months. And then I remember one day, uh, we're actually at her apartment, and we're studying, doing homework. We were in college at the time. And I said, I, I need to talk to you. And she's like, okay. And I said, no, I, I've, I've got something I really, really, really need to, to tell you. And I need you to come and sit down. So we're sitting on the floor, you know, with our books in front of us. And we had a rule that you always had to keep, you know, a book between you. Not really. I made that up. Um, but anyways, um, so we sat on, on a chair. Or actually, it was this couch type deal. And she says, well, I need to tell you something, too, but you go first. And I thought, oh, shoot. Here, I, I'm going to cross the line and, you know, tell her I love her and mean it, and she's going to break up with me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no. Okay, um, well, you go first. No, you said it first. You go. So I said, okay, I will. I said, um, I just need to be gut level honest with you and tell you that I love you. And she got this look like, what? And I go, I genuinely love you. And I just, I'm nuts about you. And I just want to serve you and honor you and respect you and everything I can with you. And she goes, oh, good, because that's what I wanted to tell you. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is good. But that was a crossover from the phileo love, brotherly love. I can look to Matt and say, I love Matt. Matt and I are buddies. I love Nick. We're <laughs> struggle there a minute. No, I love you. We're, we're, we're friends here. We're all a part of the family of God. I love the fish. If anybody knows me, I'm passionate about fishing. I'm, I'm storage about fishing. But Marina is the only eros I have in my life. And I love her because of the agape love that God loved and showed me first. But the love I have towards the Father, the one thing that Marina and I made very, very straight and upfront in our relationship, don't you ever get in the way of me and my relationship with God. We say that to each other because I love God more than, than anything because I know he loves me more than she ever could. And he, she knows he loves her more than I ever could. That's the agape kind of love to where it's, you know, it's oozing out of, out of us. But love, Matt alluded to this, to this as well when he talked about the lust question. Um, I don't want to raise of hands and say how many of you ever thought you were in love, but we often think of love as those warm, fuzzy feelings we get. Can't sleep, can't eat, can't drink, can't do anything but think of the other person. That's more like an infatuation. Because, see, love isn't what we feel. Love is what we do. See, there's been times in our relationships where I didn't like her very much. Just being honest with you. And believe me, for every time I didn't like her, she's got 10 she didn't like me. But you know what? We, we made a vow and a covenant that we were going to love each other for better or worse, richer and poor. We're still waiting for that richer part to manifest. In good times and bad times. But we, we determine every day to love each other. And so with the question with our words... Couples and young people, young couples, using this word a lot. Um, maybe there is the genuine love there, you know, where you're engaged in, in um, showing your love more than doing. The Bible talks about they'll know we are Christians by our love. It's not because we walk around and tell everybody we love them. It's because of what we do. And so the next time I would challenge everybody and anybody in this room, if somebody says, well, I love you, Say, prove it. What are you going to do for me? And that's not a selfish thing. So um, that's my response to that. Do you have anything? You're awesome. I love you. Aw. So hurry? cute. No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the other question was going to be something about a track or something. Bumping cartoon track. No, um... 
So this next one, uh, Erica Marine. I felt the message two weeks ago was very focused on how women need to control the way they look and the temptations of men by doing so. But what about men not looking at those temptations? I know how a woman dresses can attract less from a man, from men. But if, a, if I, as a woman, want to dress nice, should I feel ashamed to do so? God made me, but do I need to hide myself to help reduce the temptations of men? First of all, thank you. Thank you, thank you, whoever submitted this question. Um, I just want to say, before we go into the answer, uh, Maureen and I, you know, we, we I didn't really listen to anything, looked at our notes, um, had gotten a little bit of feedback and we just want to, um, we just want to say we're sorry, and apologize if we offended anybody, or made anybody feel, you know, not very good about themselves. Our intent was not to come up here and become legalistic and lay down a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts and hows and cans and can'ts and things like that. So, uh, from both of us, we are sincerely uh, sorry and want to apologize if we offended anybody on that. The other thing I need to apologize about is not being able to read my notes very well uh, because one of the things we neglected was to go into the follow-up as, as we were talking about that specific area. And I had a, in, in my notes, uh, I was supposed to go to Job chapter 31, which I neglected to do, which in verse 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? In the Message Bible, it says that I've made a covenant or I'm promising to look at things that are pure. Why would I try to undress a young lady? Um, ladies, dress pretty. Dress nice. No, you are not in sin if you do that. No, we're, we're not throwing a judgment towards you or at you. Um, the intent behind that is to be cognitive of, of our surroundings at all times. But more so for the men to not to make a woman have to walk around or feel like she's in shame if she, um, you know, wants to dress pretty is the term I'm going to use. Guys, be respectful, you know. Um, I think of the pressures that our young ladies in, go through even growing up, um, you know, with Barbie dolls. And I'm sure you've heard all the controversy about, you know, trying to fit this image of a Barbie doll or whatever it is, or trying to uh, compare themselves to whatever they're comparing themselves to. Uh, we don't want to add to that by um, making them feel real uncomfortable with that. What are you going to say? Well, I just wanted to say to the guys, you know, if, you know, we're, we talk about this and if you have these temptations, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And every way means every way. So I believe that Jesus was tempted with lustful thoughts. He didn't act on those thoughts. But the devil doesn't care who you are. You know, he's going to shoot those fiery darts at you. You know, and if he can't get you with one way, he'll try another way. Um, but it's what you do with that thought. That's why you want to take those thoughts captive. You want to tear down those thoughts and, you know, be quick to recognize it. And, you know, if, if you struggle in an area, talk to somebody, go to a pastor, go to somebody if you think there's any area where you would need help. Um, and then it also says uh, no temptation has taken you except that which is common to man. So that when you are tempted, that he will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it, under the temptation. So a lot of that is looking for that way of escape, you know, crying out to God help, use the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, every time, one right after another, he used the word of God to combat that. It is written. It is written. It is written. So if there's an area that you struggle with, whether it's lust or lying or gossip, you know, take time to meditate. Have some scriptures. Have some ammunition that when that temptation comes, you can be quick to defeat it. And the only thing I would add to that is... Um Ask yourself 
the what and the why. Um, I wear dark clothes because I'm in shape. Round is a shape, okay? And um, so like tonight, somebody just caught that. Way to go, Ronzi. So <laughs> we're still at the point in our marriage where I'll put a shirt on and she'll say, no, nah, that's not going to work. For example, tonight, no, nah, that's not going to work. And so <laughs> I have to put on, on something else. Why? Because I want to be aware of the attention that I'm drawing to myself. And what I would say is uh, how we dress, if our motive is to draw attention uh, for maybe not the right reasons or purposes or to draw attention to us instead of to the attention of the beauty within us and the, and the good person we are, um, just answer that question on your own. Is that really what you want to do? And I've seen you searching your Bible for something. Did you have something to add? Yeah. Uh, oh. oh. What? <laughs> okay. It's in um, Proverbs 16.2. No, real quick. It's just one verse. It says, the Lord weighs the motive. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Yeah, I, you know, this is a, a topic I'd like to just put in a little bit of my two cents on just this issue of lust, because we, we really do live in a very sexualized culture um, where there's a big focus on, you know, how we look and, you know, who's sexy, who's good looking. Let's, you know, take pictures of catching people slipping out of stuff or whatever, you know, weird, weird stuff. <laughs> you know, this stuff kind of dominates um, our culture, the, the sexualization of our culture. And we need to, uh, as Christians, prioritize the Spirit of God and the Word of God when we're determining how we're going to conduct ourselves in the midst of that culture. You know, we don't want to be reflections of our culture, but reflections of Christ. Um, and it, the best way that I know how to do that isn't necessarily, you know, I, I can't find a you know, the exact skirt length in Scripture. I can't find the exact, uh, you know, guys, if you should wear your midriff or not. Um, you know, <laughs> but what you should do is surrender your hearts to the Lord in, in every area of your life. Um, sometimes we're looking for the rules or the, the how, you know, how far can I go? How, how much can I wear? You know, what can I, what can I do in this situation? And we're looking for the, the, the rule that allows us to know how far we can go. But I, I would encourage you, um, to rather surrender your hearts to the Lord and ask him to restore your sexuality and to heal you in such a way that um, you're not looking at others as an object of sexuality, but you're looking to see who God sees and how God sees them. Um, and it really, this this lust issue, it's uh, you know, a lot of times there's a focus on men, but, you know, in our culture today, there's, uh, there's statistics out there that there's a lot of women that are actually engaging in pornography at higher rates. You know, the, the, the movie uh, Magic Mike didn't make millions, you know, um, for no reason, you know. Uh, so both of us, men and women, need to, you know, the Bible talks about preferring one another um, and, and honoring one another. And one of the ways we can do that is if we're, if we're feeling like we're trying to dress either men or women to entice, um, that's not really honoring each other. And I don't know what you should wear, but I, I, I would recommend that you bring that to God and just ask him, God, do you want, can you talk to me about this area of my life? I seem to struggle with looking at other women or looking at men or having these kind of thoughts. I just want to give that area of my life to you and have you heal and restore because ultimately our, our goal shouldn't be to manage lust. Our goal should be to be free from it. And there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, you know, you can get accountability partners. You can, uh, you know, ha you know. it seems like anytime you get in a men's group, this issue comes up. <laughs> you know, we tend to organize around this issue, but rather than organize around it and try to manage it all the time, let's try to be free from it. Um, and, and a lot of those things we do to manage it, I, I liken it to like guardrails on the road. Those things are good to have in place. They keep us safe if we have an accident and veer off the road. But how many of you know it would be bad if we had to depend on guardrails to drive? So guardrails are good, and we, we want them in place, but we want to eventually become good drivers. 
And what does it look like to be free from lust? I think for me, Jesus is our example, right? While I may have been created wired visually, I was, I was first and foremost created to be in the image of God and in the likeness of Christ. And uh, Jesus was able to minister to prostitutes and women of ill repute without making objects out of them. Now, that's not me saying men go thou down to division and wealthy and make a ministry. That's not what I'm saying. But the reality is Jesus had a way of seeing people that he didn't see them as objects. He saw them as image bearers of God, as sons and daughters of God, and and that we would see people in that way. And that doesn't come through trying really hard not to lust. Uh, I want to just read a little portion of scripture here. Um, it says this, um, where are we at here? Second Corinthians three sixteen. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's referring to a veil in their heart. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Spirit of the Lord. So this transformation that it's talking about is a process, but it's one that happens through us beholding, through seeing God for who he really is. And it says we see as though in a mirror. So as we see God for more of who he is, we begin to recognize more of who we are. And in seeing more of who we are, we begin to value and see those around us for who God has created them to be. And we need more than just rigorous discipline, although it won't hurt you. (laughs) We need to encounter God and begin to see things the way that he sees things. So that if somebody does walk into our congregation and they're scantily clad and they don't know any better, they wouldn't leave feeling like they were being whispered about and, and kind of shielding their eyes away, from, but they would be overwhelmed by the love and honor that's shown and the eyes looking in their eyes and seeing them for who God created them to be. I could talk a long time about this, but I'm going to stop. So. Take it away. What's your name again? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks for that. All right. So next question. Uh, We'll do Matt and Kelly. What if you try to tell yourself that you're beautiful, but don't and just can't believe it? Will you eventually believe it? Or will you just remain as something, or will it just remain as something that just dwells on the surface rather than sinking into the soul? Would you like the mic? Yeah, I think this kind of boils down to a little bit of of kind of what our culture is feeding people too, you know, kind of what Matt had talked about of, you know, the word beautiful is kind of what you make of it a little bit. So everybody kind of has a little bit different vision in their head of what that is as far as what beautiful is for you. Um, And in order to feel beautiful, yeah, I, you know, you're going to hear Matt and I say this a lot, but you know, turning your eyes and turning your heart back to God and really getting in a relationship with him, not just a relationship of, yeah, I believe in God and and I trust in him and I pray to him when things are tough and I say thanks when things are great. Um, But you really have a relationship with God where you are talking with him, where you are listening to hear what he has to say about you as a person and about what he has to say about you as a woman or as a man. Um, I feel like he is the, the author of just speaking to us the best way that he knows how. So I would just encourage, you know, whoever wrote this and whoever needs to hear this of just, you know, if you are feeling those feelings of, you know, not being beautiful or not being valued or things like that, there is not really a person out there that's going to be able to fill that for you. Um, I think so many of us have, have searched for a long time. People search for a long time for that person that can say the right thing to make you feel the right thing to feel okay. And, and God is the only one that can do that, you know. So I would just encourage you. And, you know, if you need help to do that, find somebody here at church. Find somebody in access and say, I don't know what that means when she's talking about listening and hearing God and talking to God. And, you know, I pray, but I just kind of feel like I'm throwing them up there. You know, and find somebody that you trust in here. Come to one of the leaders here and say, can you help me know what that looks like? Because I'd really love that. You know, because we've had both experiences in our life of coming before God and just, 
asking him, you know, God, how do you see me? You know, we ask that about our kids all the time. We say, God, how do you see Jackson? Tell us what you see in him, you know, and then we just listen. And it's amazing sometimes what God will say when you are just willing to shut up and listen, you know. And, and he gives us things and he gives us little nuggets about ourselves, about our marriage, about our kids that we would not have heard had we just been throwing things up and God help them, for, help them through first grade. You know, I hope he does well. I hope he makes friends. You know, and God gives us stuff about different people in our lives, about ourselves and about our marriage. And the only way that we get that fulfillment is through him, not through each other. So I would just really encourage you to just connect with God. And if you don't know what that looks like, find somebody who does here. And I know that there's a good handful of people here at Access and Leadership that really can help you walk through that. So I would just encourage you with that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think I think a... You know, the, the question for me isn't so much, am I beautiful? The question is, who are you letting answer the question? Um, you know, because you're going to get all sorts of different answers based on a, off of a bunch of people's different brokennesses. <laughs> um, but if you're going to God and you're saying, I, I, don't, I don't feel beautiful, I don't know that I'm beautiful, will you, will you talk to me about that? I think he is more than willing to meet you where you're at. And, you know, kind of like the verse I just read before, we all with unveiled face beholding is in a mirror. As you begin to encounter God and hear him and see him, you're going to begin to see yourself more for who you really are and the, and the beauty that he's bestowed upon you and how he sees you. Um, another, another verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, it says, uh, I better turn there so I don't butcher it. It says, therefore I urge you, brethren and sisterin, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the, the will of God is, that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I often hear Romans 12, 2 quoted, but not often in conjunction with Romans 12, 12, 1. And they're very much one leads into the next. They're not mutually exclusive. And Romans 12, 1 says, present your bodies. And now here it doesn't mean your physical body. It means to present yourself, the entirety of who you are, to God in surrender, which is your spiritual service of worship. And you've probably heard Kurt say this, I'm sure, but we become like the one whom we worship. And, and from that posture and place of surrender and worship, that is the place from where our minds can begin to be renewed, that we can begin to see things from God's perspective. And in, in context with this question, it means maybe you coming to the Lord and saying, all this time I thought I wasn't beautiful. I'm willing to put that on the altar and to hear what you have to say about that and to say that's a lie and to hear the truth from you. That's real good. We, uh, we have time for, I believe, two quick, uh, well, this one probably won't be as quick, but uh, <laughs> I have a fun one to end off with. But this next one, Eric Maureen, if you want to take this one, how would you suggest a, mo a woman moves forward into a trusting relationship after being... Uh, either cheated on or in a poor relationship before? Well, you know, I don't know if this person is saying I want to move forward in this relationship with the person that cheated it on me and I want to stay with them or I was cheated on and now I want to start a relationship with someone else. I mean, that definitely is tremendously wounded, wounded to have somebody cheat on you. I mean, I just spoke with a young woman about this thing she made a vow to God and was keeping pure and you know they they talked about the purity thing and he went and had sex with someone else and cheated on her they weren't engaged but you know very very painful um and you know if you don't take that to God and forgive that person you know you can develop a root of bitterness and then you'll take that into the next relationship so I think you know, the biggest thing that you need to do is really forgive and pray for that person. So whenever anybody spitefully uses you or, you know, says all manner against you, the Bible tells us to pray for them, to bless those that curse you, pray for those that persecute you and do you harm. So 
begin to pray for them. And the more you pray for them, the quicker it's going to help you get over that wound. Um, you know, if you're, if you're just dating um, and, and looking at it the other way, are you going to stay in that relationship? You know, I would, I would definitely take a break and see where that person, would, what would happen with them spiritually. Um, you know, the Bible does say charm is deceptive. <laughs> Beauty is fleeting. You know, how well do you know that person? Um, you know, if it's somebody that's married, I believe you work on forgiveness and restoration. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Good answer. And then the, the last one, uh, this is a fun one. So what's the best thing, and we'll, we'll go to both couples, what's the best thing about being in a relationship to you guys? Tell me about how wonderful. We have a secret handshake. Should we show them? No, we're not going to show them. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. We're going to go like that. <laughs> okay. There's noises that go with it. Uh, we will spare you that. No. Um, our, our, our son gets a kick out of it when we randomly do it in the front seat of the truck. He's like, what'd you guys just what'd do? What'd you guys just do? What'd you do? Will you teach it to me? No, it's a secret handshake. I'm just <laughs> mommy and daddy. So... Um, yeah, I absolutely love, when you are in a relationship, when you are in a marriage relationship or a relationship that is headed in that direction, where you have two people who are selflessly devoted to the other person, not interested in me, 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 but interested in giving to the other person, um, it is extremely fun. Uh, we have a great time together. Uh, we have three kids. We have four kids. One of them's in here. We think just one, just one. We're pretty sure one. One child in here. Um, so we have four kids, which means that we are now very busy, but we, before we had kids, we were married for five years, um, by ourselves. I'm not really sure what we did. We sat on the couch sometimes. We were bored sometimes. It was great. Um, but I mean, we, I, I would say the best thing about being in a relationship for me, one of the best things is that we just have a, an awesome time together and we work at having an awesome time together. Um, you know, we schedule date nights with each other because we're busy and we have four, three kids, three and a half kids, three and one on the way kids, four, four kids. He makes me say it and then people look at me like I'm crazy. So, um, but we, we have to schedule that fun time together and when we make sure we do it and we're connected with each other, you know, being connected with another person on, on a marriage level is really an amazing thing. You can kind of know that person and whether you're going through a really fun patch of time or whether you're going through a time that's a little bit rougher, that person is there and you don't really have to say much about what they're supposed to do because they've got that selfless attitude in that, in that marriage and they step up and do it anyway, you know, so... That was kind of random. <laughs> that was nice. I remember times before kids when we were bored. We watched uh, last time. That was the last time we watched all. This is how great she is, guys. Uh, we watched all three Lord of the Rings extended editions. And, uh, <laughs> and Matt got um, a large Dr. Pepper and probably four boxes of candy and then proceeded to throw up in our bathroom. We told that story to our son when he was eating too much candy. <laughs> like a, like a five-year-old, um, I threw up because I ate too much candy. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. boy. <laughs> but Frodo did get the ring to Mount Doom, and it was glorious. So, <laughs> And she's going to come see The Force Awakens with me this December. So, So... <laughs> So fellow nerds, find a good lady who's a nerd, a little bit of a, a closet nerd. Closet nerd? Closet? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, on a more serious note. <clears throat> uh, I, I, honestly, it's, it's absolutely, I mean, we were created for connection, you know, and obviously the most intimate, powerful connection we should have is with God, um, but the marriage relationship is supposed to be a reflection of that, where there's two people that lay down their lives, lay down their rights for each other, and vow to love each other until death do you part. And this is so difficult for me to explain because it's hard to put into words. But, you know, in the dating relationship, there was this 
uh, you know, Eric described it, you know, that, that you're thinking about them all the time, the infatuation, you know, and, I, and it's kind of like, you know, there's people that try to recapture that after they get married, um, and it can definitely be there and here and there, but if you do marriage the way that God created marriage to be done, if you're willing to go into the relationship and pay the full price, you will reap the full benefit. In other words, if you go into marriage and you say, I really am going to put my all, my 100%, I'm not going to, we're, we're doing this thing together. There's, you know, everything that's mine is hers and vice versa, and we're, we're going to be one. Um, there's a depth of connection and love that I can't describe that blows the dating infatuation clear out of the water. Um, getting off on a different topic, but what happens sometimes is people get married and they don't willingly put both feet in and they don't pay the full price and then they don't experience the benefit of that and they go, well, what happened? Where, where's the love? <laughs> go all in. And there's this covenant connection that is so difficult to describe, but it's amazing. Uh, it's incredible. And it's, she's my best friend. She's my lover. She's my... She <laughs> You know, she's the one that, that we hear God. You say that in such a creepy voice. It doesn't make sense. My lover, you know. <laughs> Get a little mustache and creep around here. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Want to watch Lord of the Rings with me? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Aside from the obvious, um, this is the one thing that I can honestly say is the best thing about being in a relationship with my bride. She knows me better than anybody. She knows all of my good traits, all three of them. But she knows every everything about me, and yet she still holds my hand. She still goes to bed with me every night. We still wake up together every morning. The last thing we do before we go to bed or the last thing I do every night before I go to bed or before I go to sleep is I pray for her. Sometimes that's at 11 o'clock. Sometimes it's at 11.30. Sometimes it's 1 a.m. But made a covenant with her that she goes, I want you to, the last thing I want you to do every night is to pray for me. And the first thing I want you to do every morning is to pray for me. And um, it'll be like 4 o'clock in the morning. I get up early. I'm just a freak. And I'll, I'll lean over, and, and I'll have my hands on her. I'm praying for her. And um, I'll <laughs> stop it. Stop it. But I'll pray for her, and it blesses me because I'll get all done, and I'll say, in Jesus' name, amen. And I'm trying to, like, whisper. And she'll go, thank you, honey. And I'm like, she was awake. <laughs> Cool. Um, but no, seriously, aside, and, and I don't, I mean, the obvious is the obvious. I mean, we just love being together. We just, we have a ball. We had a ball when we had our kids. When we had our kids, we didn't quit dating. Unfortunately, a lot of relationships, and this will be real good advice when you do get married, don't quit dating. Don't quit flirting with each other. I mean, we, we flirt all the time, and we used to make our kids sick. Um, I'm just, I'm nuts about this gal. I mean, I love being with her as much as I can, whenever I can. But spiritually, you know, Kurt gave the example last week about the triangle and the guy and the girl and, you know, God at the apex. That has been our relationship. And it has just, it's been a riot. Um, and I love it. Did you see the movie Sweet Home Alabama? Anybody see that? Remember the part? Because I can kiss you anytime I want to. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, marriage has been great. We have a lot of fun. Eric is definitely my best friend. Um, and aside from the physical intimacy in a marriage, it, it takes time and years develop, but there's a spiritual intimacy. Um, when, you know, he talked a little bit about what I was like before Christ. <laughs> and called me heathen. Yeah, I was a good sinner. And, uh, but... You know, I did have a lot of baggage from my past. And I want to say when you, you get saved, 
everything doesn't disappear. You know, there were wounds and hurts that took time for to heal. You know, I don't want to go into all that, but I mean, I did run away from home in high school. I, I was messed up, and um, I had a lot of things happen. Violated, um, and some things I just don't want to go into right now. But aside from that, and I married him, and he came from abused home and in and out of foster homes and physical and emotional abuse. And you bring two people together, two broken people. And over the years, though, we formed this intimacy because with what we went through, we had hurts. And we, like I said, we brought those into the marriage and we hurt each other. Hurting people hurt, hurt people. You hurt the ones you love the most. But God was able to use us. He's the redeemer, but he was able to use Eric to help redeem my hurts. And he used me to help redeem his hurts, if that makes sense. And what I mean by the spiritual intimacy, there's this, you know, when the, a bride walks down the aisle, her face is covered with a veil, and you don't see her until they kiss at the altar. Well, we keep these things veiled and covered in our heart, hurts and shames and whatever it is. What I mean by the spiritual intimacy is when you can lift that veil and begin to pray to each other and share with each other the broken places and, and feel a freedom. It took years and years and years for me to ever be able to tell him some of the things. And it took him years and years and years to be able to open up and really share with me some of the horrible things that he went through. But that's one thing that I love about our marriage because... He never shamed me. He never said, I cannot believe that happened to you. Or I can't believe. Why didn't you ever tell me this before? I mean, he, he never threw back. Um, and he's my best friend. And I wouldn't trade him. If God said, you can have any man out there you want, who would you pick? I'd pick him. <laughs> well, that's all the questions that we have. Can you guys Thank you for joining us for our special guest speaker this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at AccessRLC. And be sure to swing out Thursday nights at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Resurrection Life Church.